0: It is a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, I, uh, well, my wife and I and our family have been privileged to be supported by you as missionaries for about uh, two years now, I think, and we're really thankful for this connection. And it's it's a blessing to get to know you better as we're here, and uh, and it's really an encouragement. Uh, uh, also, uh, just to be able to preach again, because it's been a month we've been here, and I'm used to preaching twice every Sunday, and I'm missing it, so I'm really glad to be able to preach today, and uh, I lead our midweek Bible study still, because of the coronavirus, we still do that on Zoom, so uh, I lead the midweek Bible study in England every Wednesday. It's one thirty p.m. here, but 7.30 p.m. there, uh, but that's not quite the same as, as getting to preach, so I'm really glad to be with you uh, this morning. If you'd uh, open your Bibles with me, or or read uh, behind me as we read together Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. And, uh, and, and I know normally you'll read in the CSB, uh, CSV, I'm reading this morning in the ESV uh, from Luke 5, beginning with verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but not the fishermen who had gone out of them and were washing their nets. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch.'" And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. Parents, you might be familiar with the situation where you're uh, you're doing a, a task or a, a job that's difficult. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's even complex. Uh, something around the house, something in the in the garage, something like that. And, and your young child, really young child, maybe who knows nothing about what you're doing, uh, walks up and tells you exactly how you should be doing it. I don 't maybe maybe i 'm the only one who 's experienced this, but but I know i 've seen this before I remember several years ago my wife showed me a YouTube video. I, I hope that some of you have seen it when I begin describing it because it 's funny and i 'm just not funny enough to actually get the story across well but there was this uh, this uh, lady who is speaking to her her boyfriend and she 's really overwhelmed by all the work that she has to do around the house the cooking cleaning all of these things and uh, as she 's talking about this uh, he, he wants wants to help her but you know he's just sitting there watching TV which is frustrating her more he wants to help her uh, so trying to be helpful he points out this magic laundry basket that is on the countertop I, I hear some of you know this already you know exactly where I'm going he points out this magic laundry basket and this magic table and if you just take your clothes your dirty clothes at the end of the day and put them in this laundry basket then the next morning miraculously they appear folded at the bottom of your bed and and you can leave the dishes and the silverware and everything Everything else out on this magic coffee table and, and it's amazing when you come out the next morning they're washed and put away and, and everything is taken care of and he's trying to help her by saying you know if you just leave your clothes in this laundry basket then you know you'll be okay and, and some of your work uh, won't have to be done and, and she's utterly disgusted with him because here she's been doing all of this work and, and he's trying uh, to help her but he doesn't actually know what he's talking about and and that's actually kind of at the beginning of this story how it, it seems to be going when Luke starts telling this story. A carpenter's son and a religious teacher are telling career fishermen how to do their job. Is telling a career fisherman how to do his job. And and at first it seems like the fisherman might be a little bit put out, but that's not how the story ends. The story takes place, as as you heard, uh, by the Lake of Gennesaret, and, and actually, uh, this is Luke's just kind of more precise way of uh, labeling what we normally hear called in the Gospels the Sea of Galilee. Luke doesn't use the Sea of Galilee because it's not really a sea. He likes to be precise, and so he's talking about this lake. It's eight miles wide. It's 14 miles long, and from, from what we hear, even though it's this small lake, scholars tell us that, that even in the first century, there were probably... Nine fishing villages—not even really villages, towns—they probably had more than fifteen thousand people a piece around this lake, and uh, it was a fishing place. and 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 they estimate that there were probably eighteen to twenty five breeds of fish there that the fishermen were bringing in. It's still a fishing place today, from what I've read. And, And Jesus was standing by this lake with fishing towns all around it, and he was preaching. And, uh, and a group of people of some size were beginning to press in on him. Uh, he was becoming a, a pretty well-known preacher. It was still early in his ministry, but he was becoming a pretty famous preacher at this point. And, and so the crowd was coming, and they were pressing in on him. And, and you'd think that that's what the story is going to be about, but that's not actually what this story is about. The story is about these four fishermen. And uh, they were washing their nets on the shore. Their two boats were there at the edge of the lake. Uh, and, And this is where the meat of the story really begins. But it's not just about these four fishermen. It's also about Jesus. It is one of the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Luke is, through this book, unfolding who Jesus is. He, he begins to show him at the, as the Messiah at the very beginning and, and as a messenger of God. As you go further into the book, he's revealing that this is not just a messenger of God. This is God himself. This is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And, and the disciples here, even as they're following him, might not completely get that. They, they're going to get it by the end of the book. They might not completely get it at this point, but we are meant to completely get it at this point. We are meant to understand. Theophilus, who Luke is writing this book to, is meant to understand. And and so the first thing we see about this God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity here in this story, is that he is a pursuing God. He's a pursuing God. This is the first thing we see this morning. Jesus, as he's preaching, sees these two fishing boats. And, um, and they're not just dinghies. They're not just kind of small little fishing boats. Uh, they're, they're probably about 30-foot fishing boats. Just a, a year or two ago, some, some archaeologists pulled up off the bottom of Lake Galilee one of these first-century fishing boats that was still intact. And it, it was a big boat. It was about 30 feet long. And he gets in this boat. He doesn't ask. He gets in this boat, but then he asks Peter if he'll put out a little ways from land. And and he sits down in the boat, and he begins teaching the people. And uh, when he finishes teaching, he he then goes on further in the story. But notice from the beginning, even as he sits down in the boat and then asks Peter to put out uh, into the water, notice who makes the first move in this relationship between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus is the one who makes this first move. And it doesn't just happen this once. It happens again and again in this story. Jesus initiates. Jesus pursues. Uh, this isn't Peter's first introduction to Jesus. Just a few verses earlier in chapter 4, we read about how Jesus had, uh, had healed Peter's mother-in-law. She was near to death, and, and he healed her. And Luke isn't always in chronological order, so these stories might not be in chronological order. But even if they're not, there are stories in Matthew and in Mark that would seem to indicate that uh, Peter already knew Jesus. Uh, in fact, not just Peter, but Andrew and, and John and James here as well. And then the way that Peter addresses Jesus also shows that he knew Jesus. Because when Jesus asks him to put out uh, there a little bit in verse 5, he says, Master, we toiled all night. So he uses this term, Master, and this is a word used in Luke's gospel. In the other gospels, they use the similar word, Rabbi, and, and it has kind of the same meaning. But it's, it's a word in Luke that always comes from the mouths of Jesus' disciples who are following him. So, so Peter already has a relationship with jesus there 's already a certain matter of discipleship here he 's a disciple already, and so he and these other three know Jesus, but it 's still Jesus who initiates and isn 't that interesting because Jesus is is well known these large crowds are following him he's he's not unknown and he's 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 somebody that you might want to to do something to follow somebody you might want to help out do something for uh, he's Maybe somebody whose disciples might want to ingratiate themselves to him, you know, kind of like an intern for a boss. You want to kind of do things to get into their good favor. I remember when I was I served in the navy for seven and a half years when I was a young junior officer. You always wanted to do whatever you could to ingratiate yourself to the captain. You wanted to you know do whatever you could when he was on the bridge to make yourself look good to help him. It's it's that sort of thing. You would think that they would want to do something. But they don't. Jesus initiates, and it's not just here in verse three, but everywhere in this story, Jesus is the initiator. Jesus is the one who who tells Peter to put out into the deep. He's the one who refuses to leave when Peter says, "Depart from me." Uh, he's the one who appoints Peter and Andrew and James and John, fishers of men, again and again and again. He's the one who pursues. He's the one who initiates. Jesus initiates, pursues, and then he leads. And, and he doesn't do this, we'll see as the story unfolds, because Peter is just such a great guy that Jesus has to have him as a follower. That, that's not Jesus' motivation here. It's not because of anything in them. They're not always resistant when he leads, although they are a little bit sometimes. But it's not like they're chasing down Jesus and, and then he just relents and gives in. Jesus is a a teacher here, but he's also God, And, and he is the God of all the scriptures, and it's not just in this story that we see a pursuing God. The Bible tells us the story of a God who initiates, of a God who pursues. And it's important for us to see this because it's his character. It's who he is. Titus tells us, uh, the book of Titus tells us that this is a God who gave himself for us to redeem us and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. He's the one who, who pursues. This is the God who, throughout the Old Testament, again and again and again, how does he describe himself? He describes himself as Yahweh, a God merciful, a God gracious, a God slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And, and Joel and Jonah tell us that he, he also loves to relent from judgment or disaster. This is a God who pursues, who initiates, and he does it with a people who are far off and a people who don't really have any interest in him. And he does it with... Not just those sorts of people, but also people who are already his. Peter's not one of those people who are far off and doesn't want anything to do with him. Peter's already a disciple, but even he's not initiating and pursuing. Even he needs to be pursued. And and God pursues us when we're still far off. He pursues us when we don't yet know him. And then once we do know him, and, and you all know we keep needing to be pursued, he is a God who continues to pursue us. And it ought to to shame us that He, our God, has to come looking for us, but we know that we need it. And He is a God who does this. This isn't the only thing, though, that we see about God in this story of Jesus, though. We see that He's a pursuing God, but we also see that He is a powerful and holy God. A powerful and holy God. And this is the second thing we see in this text this morning. As I pointed out earlier, there's a, there's a bit of irony in this story, intentionally, I think. Jesus asked Simon Peter to put out from the land a little bit so he could preach, but then when he was done, he told Peter to put out into the deep, and then he told him to put down his nets to fish. And certainly, I think sometimes we forget it as those who sat in the church all our lives, but Theophilus, who this book was originally written to, who is reading it for the first time, uh, and, 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 and if you read the book of Luke, he's, he's trying to communicate not just who Jesus is, but he's trying to communicate that Jesus is somebody that you should be really excited about. He wants you to be, not just to know who he is, but also to be really excited about him. He's trying to communicate about Jesus to Theophilus, this Christian. Christian. Christian telling him who Jesus is and why he should be excited about him and so you can imagine as Theophilus was reading this and and he's saying wait a minute Jesus is a carpenter's son we're not that far into the gospel yet he's a carpenter's son yes he's becoming a pretty well-known teacher but that only means that he's added to his resume the fact that he's a religious teacher at no point in the first four chapters have we added fishermen to his resume He's not a fisherman. He doesn't seem to have anything to do with fishing. And yet he's telling these fishermen how to fish. And from a human perspective, when you read this story, you would say he's not doing a very good job of it. This would certainly be Peter's read on the situation. The word here, many of the commentators tell us, the Greek word for nets is actually a specific word that is used to describe nighttime fishing nets, not daytime fishing nets. And it's the day. And so he tells them to put their nighttime fishing nets out. Set out into the deep and put your nighttime fishing nets out. Apparently, uh, they would have been made out of a different type of material, something almost like a linen that would work really well at night because the fish couldn't see it. But during the day, they'd be able to see it and they wouldn't go into it. So it wouldn't be a net that they could use during the day. Okay. And it wouldn't have been as effective. Additionally, apparently, those who were fishing on Lake Galilee still to this day will tell you that at night you fish in the deep and during the day you fish in the shallows because the fish aren't in the deep or they're too deep in the deep at night and and they don't come up, or during the day rather, they don't come up high enough for you to catch them with your nets until the day. And so the normal way that you would fish would be with different nets in the shallows during the day. But he tells them to go into the deep and use their nighttime nets. So here you have this son of a carpenter giving what Peter and, and Andrew and James and John probably hear as nonsensical advice to these professional fishermen. And if it weren't just for this, they'd already been up all night fishing. They'd come home and they'd spent hours cleaning their nets. Then they'd had to put the boat out. So they could just kind of sit there and wait till he was done teaching. They were wanting a nap, but instead they were sitting there managing their boats. And now he wanted them to put out to sea or to the the lake. And they're not exactly enthusiastic to follow. Notice here in verse 5, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. He says here, but at your word, kind of says, nevertheless, if you say so, then we'll put out. So Peter puts the boat out into the deep, and he and his partner, probably Andrew, let out their nets. Why does Peter do this? Why does he put out into the deep? Well, we'd said that he'd already been a disciple already by this point, so so maybe... You know, what does John tell us Jesus' first miracle is? Remember, he turned seven huge buckets of water into wine. He, he's done some miraculous things already. Maybe Peter has, is thinking about these miracles, and, and this is what prompts him to obey. Or, or maybe it's just that he doesn't want to risk alienating his master. He doesn't obey with much enthusiasm, but he does obey. And look what happens. They, they immediately caught so many fish that the nets began to tear. And they had to call over their partners, James and John, the the sons of Zebedee, and and that's even an interesting. I don't know if you think about this as you read this, but did they did they have to call them over from the shore, or were they already out there? How long did it take them to get out to help them? Were the you know the nets kind of slowly tearing apart, and they're waiting, saying, "Come on, hurry up!" It, it's it's. You can imagine the the tension here. We just cleaned our nets. We probably mended them and now they're tearing. And and it's just overwhelming what's happening here. And they're, they're coming to help and they get there. And when they get there to help, they manage to get the fish in. But now these two boats started sinking. Again, not small dinghies, 25 to 30 foot boats that are sinking under the weight of this catch. A single catch. And so what does Peter do? I'm not a fisherman, but I think that I would get to shore as fast as I could. But that's not what he does. He falls down on his knees on the deck. He falls down actually probably on his face on the deck at Jesus' knees. And he cries out, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. He, he saw in this miracle something about Jesus. And it gave him a new perspective on himself. It, it helped him to, to see who he really was. Because Jesus is the God who pursues. He, he is the God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But he's also the almighty God. He's all-knowing. He knows exactly where the fish are. Fishermen don't, but he does. He's all-powerful. He tells all of these fish, get up out of the deep and get in these nets. He's the God who is perfectly holy, the the God that Deuteronomy describes as a consuming fire, a jealous God. He's, He's the God that Isaiah says his name is holy. Holy is one of his names. He's the high and lofty one. He might be the one who pursues, but he is a holy and powerful God. And Peter responds exactly the way that Isaiah does when he's brought into the presence of this God. Remember that story in, in Isaiah 6? It's, it's several chapters in, but it's actually the beginning of Isaiah's ministry. It's when he's called to minister, and he's, he's in the temple in the year that Isaiah has died, the king has died, and he's given this vision of God's throne room, and when he saw it, what does he say? He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I have a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts so God is a pursuing God but he's a God of power and holiness and when Peter even though he's been pursued comes into contact with God's power in the person of Jesus Christ he rightly recognizes that this is a problem because the third thing that we see in this text is is that we are a destitute people. We are a destitute people. Maybe Peter remembers how kind of glibly he just spoke in in verse 5. You know, Jesus, if you say so, I'll I'll put out. Maybe that's what he's thinking of. Maybe uh, it's just that he's generally aware of who he is, which is probably more likely. But he understands things rightly here. He responds in, in the right way. He, he doesn't say, depart from me, for I sinned in this specific way. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinner. He, he may not completely grasp at this point in Jesus' ministry exactly who Jesus is. It's still several chapters before he makes his, uh, his statement that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's, it's a while before he makes that confession, but he does clearly recognize that what has just happened only the holy and righteous and powerful God can do and I'm standing in front of his messenger in his presence and I am sinful. And he, he humbles himself. He suddenly understands things rightly. And it doesn't matter where we are this morning. It doesn't matter whether we come as people who've been following the Lord for a long time or if we come never really having even stepped foot in a, in a church before. And this isn't something we, we've we really heard about or thought about before. We need to grasp no matter who we are, what our relationship with God is, we are sinful men and women, and he is a holy and righteous God. And it's not just a matter of of comparison, he's better than we are, he, he is utterly other than we are, completely different. And we don't look good in this comparison. Probably you're not somebody who's just checking things out this morning. You know, I've been here a few weeks now, almost a month, and most of your faces I recognize already. Most of you I've seen before. So probably you are here this morning and you're a follower of Christ. You've probably got ready with your family this morning, just like you do every Sunday, and you came to church to worship God. God's mercy and his holiness probably aren't new principles or, or new ideas to you. Maybe they are, but they're probably not. But Peter knew who god was he was a jew he wasn't some some gentile outsider a foreigner he was a jew and what's more than that he he was already maybe a new disciple of jesus but he was disciple of jesus he'd heard jesus preach he knew that jesus was god's representative Go back and look at Isaiah. Isaiah wasn't some Gentile foreigner. He was in the temple. He was in the holy place in the temple. Only Jews got there. And he was already a prophet when God called him. And yet he said, "'Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips.'" Paul was an apostle for many years when he wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans 7, he said, "'I do not do what I want.'" That I do the very thing I hate. I do not do the good thing I want, but I do the evil I do not want. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. And, and when we look at this, even if we're followers of Christ, it ought to drive home to us that we don't grasp, and even if we have at some point in the past begun to grasp, we've probably forgotten, the enormity of God's righteousness and the enormity of just how far we fall short. And it ought to be the way that every one of us responds, what Peter does here. We ought to be on our faces saying, depart from me. I'm a sinner. Jesus is no less present today in fact by his spirit he says that our situation now with his spirit here with us is even better than he, when he was here on earth we, we have his presence here with us and we are sinful men and women standing in the presence of a holy God this righteous holy God though remember this story is showing us is gracious he's benevolent and it's the juxtaposition of these two things that, that Peter's struggling with. Here is the God of holiness, and he's sitting in his boat. And, and he's telling him where to put his nets, and, and he realizes it wasn't actually the carpenter's son at all. It was the God of the temple, and he was worried about Peter's fish. And, and this is overwhelming to him. And... And, and in a sense, it wasn't just that he was telling him about his fish and he cared about it, but he was benevolently and, and graciously paying him back for the use of his boat to teach from. Paul, Peter, rather, did something small for him, and, and he's doing something massive in return. And, and this isn't just true for Peter, it's true for us. We're in God's presence, we're sinful men and women in God's presence, but the God of heaven cares about every little detail of our lives. And the scriptures tell us he will be a debtor to no man. He's, he's gracious, he's bountiful with us. This is what Peter is responding to here. God's grace towards his sinful, undeserving heart. And, and Jesus' answer here is amazing. Because he calls a destitute people and he makes them an appointed people. Which is the fourth thing we see in this text. He calls a destitute people and makes them an appointed people. Now again, many of you might be familiar with this story. So, when I read it this morning, and you know, he said, Depart from me, for I am a wicked man. And, and you knew exactly what Jesus was going to do. He wasn't going to depart. But when you consider the reality of the situation, Jesus doesn't treat Peter the way that we might treat him. Peter just figured out how revolting and repulsive he is. He's finally beginning to get it. And so what does he do? He tells Jesus to get away. And, and even, you notice, Jesus doesn't argue. Jesus doesn't say, maybe you've had somebody say, you know, don't, don't look at me right now. I don't have my makeup on. Husbands, maybe you've heard that at some point or something like that. And you say, oh no, you're You're beautiful. Jesus doesn't say that to Peter. He doesn't argue at all. Peter says, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. Jesus doesn't argue. Jesus knows that what Peter, in fact, Jesus knows better than Peter knows that what he has just said is exactly right. He shouldn't be in Peter's presence. He, he shouldn't be with him. He, he should have responded maybe, or certainly we would respond, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> But instead, he says, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. And, and sometimes, especially those of us who are in the church, we can get to the point, maybe several times a day, but certainly several times a week or a year, where we say, I am a sinful man. I am a sinful woman. Just like Peter does. And, and maybe we even mean it a little bit. But those are rare times when we actually get through our heads just how sinful we are. And when we do get to the point where we actually begin to grasp just how shameful and sinful we are, then we really have trouble getting through our heads the do not be afraid part. Because when we really grasp where we are, it's it's hard to feel that we should be allowed to speak to God or to stay in his presence. It's hard to have this perspective. And there are two things that we need to see here about Jesus' response, about God's response to who Peter is and to who we are. First of all, though Peter was dirty and sinful and repulsive, Jesus came to him. And I don't mean by this that he, he just came and got in his boat. I mean, you might think... If Jesus is the holy God, which he is, why did he get in the boat with this guy? But he didn't just get in his boat. Jesus is God who came to earth... To save sinful men. Not just man, not just Peter, but sinful men, all of his people. He, he calls them to himself. He is the holy God who took on what the scriptures say is the likeness of sinful flesh. He he had a body, and, and though he was without sin, his his body had all of the effects of sin in it. He got older, he got hurt, he all of the things that don't happen to Holy righteous bodies before the fall but happened to sinful bodies after the fall happened to his body even though he never sinned part of his You know philippians tells us the part of his humiliation was that actually he took on our bodies that was Humiliation, and it was part of his suffering Peter and isaiah and paul and us we're all sinful and He came Not just to get into our boats, but to save us. God cannot look on sin. He is holy, the scriptures tell us. The holy God who inhabits eternity, we sang about at the beginning as we sang, Oh God, our help from ages past, which is just Psalm 90. The God who inhabits eternity, he can't look on sin. But Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth, and he came so that he could die on a cross, take the punishment that is owed for sin, take what we owe for our sins, and then as he took our punishment, he doesn't just leave us forgiven, he covers us then in his holiness. So we're more holy than we would ever be just simply having our sins forgiven. And so suddenly... When we come to God in Christ, we don't have to say, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Don't look at me. Instead, we can do what Hebrews tells us and boldly approach his throne and call him Father. And he can look on us with delight. The Psalms tell us that we are the apple of his eye if we are his people in Christ. So we see this change in this relationship and why Jesus can respond in this way. But the second thing we see about Jesus' response to Peter and to us here is that he didn't just come to him and, and even save him, but then he commissioned him. It goes further than that. Did you notice how the way that Peter addressed Jesus changed from the first time he addressed him to the second time he addressed him? And in verse 5, he says, Master, Rabbi, and just calls him that, which is a a humble term used to a superior already. But then down, down below, he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord this word Lord is sometimes used in the New Testament to describe uh, God, Yahweh, the Lord of the Old Testament. Sometimes it's just like uh, like Sir, though. It's just like saying Sir. If you speak uh, Spanish or if you speak German, you'll know that the the same word for Sir is the same word you use for Lord when you address uh, when you address God, and and it's the same sort of thing in Greek. So so you say, well, how do we know that he's calling him something more than Master when he calls him Lord? Well, in in Luke's gospel, this word is used very, very specifically. Uh, Through this section in Luke 5, 1 through 11, this word has already been used 30 times in the gospel of Luke. And every single time it's been used to describe the Lord God Almighty. And so, Peter is saying something more than master when he calls him Lord. There's a a change. Jesus is, is turning a sinner into a son and into a servant. And he didn't just save him, he, he transforms him. Last week, the last several weeks, Chad has been talking about the Holy Spirit. And last week specifically, he was talking about one of the things that the Holy Spirit does within us is he transforms us, he, he sanctifies us, he, he turns us from sinners into saints. There's, of course, when we come to believe in Jesus, that immediate moment where we're saved and we become saints, but then through the course of our lives, he's, he's at work within us, developing gifts within us, cleansing us from sin, at work doing all of these things and and that's exactly what we see Jesus doing here the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives transforming us but, but the Spirit in, in doing this is actually just applying the work of Christ the work that Christ has already accomplished to us and we see in this chapter or in this story one example of how he changes us he changes us in many ways but we see one example of how he changes us He changes here Peter and Andrew and James and John's vocation. They go from being fishermen to fishers of men. They. They change where they are. And there's two important things that we see in the fact that they become fishers of men, that they walk away from their nets. The first thing is when Jesus calls you, he utterly transforms your life. Sometimes that means a new vocation like it does here for Peter and for Andrew and for James and John. Sometimes it means we've got to leave where we are and go do something entirely different. But sometimes it just means that he changes how we do what we do. It, it may be that somebody who's in the military or uh, somebody who is a fisherman or somebody who does something else becomes a Christian and they continue in that vocation, but all of a sudden their priorities are changed. Their vocation is no longer their first priority. It's it's the way in which they do the thing, which is their first priority, which is to honor God. It's to serve him. It's to follow him. And they're utterly changed. We need to follow Jesus. But also you notice that, that Peter here, this whole section, if you were to read from the beginning of chapter five down to the end of chapter six, is a section about Jesus Christ calling disciples and not just his 12 disciples but all of those who will call him and 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 Peter here is while he's being spoken to specifically is actually a representative for the apostles and then also for Christians in general. You notice uh, what he what he says here. He says follow me From now on, he says, you will be catchers, catching men, fishers of men. He keeps speaking to Peter uh, individually. When he speaks to Peter, he uses the the singular. But every time he gives a command about fishing men, he's using the plural. He's not just speaking to to Peter, but to all of them. Uh, When he tells them to put out into the deep, he he uses put out into the deep, singular. But then he says, let down your nets, plural. He says says to them, uh, speaking individually to Peter, and then gives them command. That are, that are plural. And, and what, is, what, is, what do we see happening? He says, Don't be afraid. Now on, you're going to be catching men. But who leaves? Is it just Peter who leaves his nets? No, it's all of them who leave their nets. There's a, a representative nature here. We, one of the ways in which we are transformed, or transformed in many ways, one of the ways in which we are transformed is that when we grasp the truth of who God is and, and who we are, when we come to him, we don't then just settle. It's not just that we're, we're healed now, we're saved, we can go on about our lives, we're meant to get, begin telling others. We ought to be those who who go out and whatever your work is, whether you're an engineer or whatever else it is you do, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whether, whatever roles you play, whether you're uh, helping with the youth or helping with the younger children or the older children, I keep hearing Chad tell you all that he's volunteered you to work with the young children every week when he gives the announcements Uh, you know whatever you are whatever role you're filling you're telling people about jesus mothers maybe you stay at home and you have a lot of tasks around the house that you do but the most important task is telling your children about jesus some of you might be working one of the chemical plants or or something else locally and, and you might have a job and you go to work every day and, and you have a job but the most important thing you can do is honor the Lord with your heart and your soul and mind and everything you do. And do everything to His glory. We're called not just to do that so we can please Him but to do that so we can tell others about Him. He saves us and then as sinful as we are and as dirty as we are and as unlovely as we are he makes us his partners and that ought to amaze us even more than the fact that he came near to us in the first place and so we see here a a, a carpenter who becomes a fisher but we see fishermen who become preachers let's close in prayer Heavenly Father I pray uh, this morning that we will have seen A lovely Christ. I pray, Lord, from your word that you will show us a Christ who is God, a Christ who saves sinners, a Christ who calls us not just to follow him, but then also to lead others to follow him. And I pray, Lord, that we won't just be those who learned something from this text, but those who will be transformed by your word, through your word, by your spirit, who will go out more transformed. In Jesus' name, amen.